0: The gospel of John, chapter one. Uh, the Gospel of John, chapter one, and we're going to start again with verse one and read to five, and then skip down to verse fourteen. Now you remember, John is a is. I mean, he starts off with a bang in his gospel, and really, in you know, you really here's one practice you ought to try. Uh, it won't it won't take you long, but go back and look at how the diff, four different gospels. You know, there's four stories about Jesus's life. That we have in the Bible, uh, that specifically are designed to teach us about who He is. Go back this Advent season in your in your personal reading, and just try to try to see how each of these gospel writers introduce Jesus. They're going to do it in different ways. Matthew starts with a genealogy. Mark goes stri- Mark goes straight to the to the uh, adult Jesus, really. But they have these prophecies from Isaiah, don't they? All interspersed. In and we've already read two different prophecies from Isaiah, even this morning and in last week as well. Isaiah is all over this thing about the Messiah, isn't he? And so it's a predicted coming. It's not just out of nowhere. Oh, what's he, what's he doing here? What's God No, this was predicted. This was prophesied. So you ought to go through the four different Gospels and see how they introduce Jesus. Luke has a very detailed account, by the way. And in here, John begins like this. and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You so much for Your Word. (laughs) Your powerful Word to us this morning. Your written Word to us. And Jesus who is Your Word to us and for us. Holy Spirit, would You this morning apply these words to our hearts in only the way that You can. And would You then empower us to live it out, we pray in Your holy name. Amen. God always sends a person. You know, I'm sure you've had this experience of talking on the phone to a computer or to a machine, and you're saying what you want to happen, and they are misunderstanding what you need to happen, and you start getting frustrated, start raising your voice all at a machine, you understand, uh, the futility of this process, and sometimes you just want to say, let me just talk to a person, right? We don't want to talk to machines. Somehow we can get more done talking to a person than a machine. Not only this, we get on the phone with a person and, you know, it can still become frustrating. I mean, if you're dealing with technical stuff like cable and satellite and internet connections, you know, you're just like, man, can you just please come here and, and just look at what I'm looking at? I can't really describe what's happening here. I, I just need somebody here. I just I need a person right here. And then I feel like everything's going to be okay. Uh, Which is why sometimes we have to, at the end of the day, pay someone to show up. In our greater life, in the history of mankind, God has not just talked to us through mobile connection. He's done that. But He has a habit of sending a person. This is what He likes to do. This is His design. He could have waved a wand. And that could be the way of salvation. He could have declared by his will you're saved. Instead, what he does is sends people, finally sends a person who is his son, as John says here, the eternally begotten Son of the Father, the one and only is what is said here in this passage. So, you know, God answers our frustrations. We don't have to yell. We don't have to get angry. He has sent a person to help, to show the way. All we have to do is open our eyes. Open the eyes of faith and we'll see Him for who He is and His way before us. You see, the reality is, during Advent, we remember, we purposefully remind ourselves of what Jesus has done. What the Son of God has taken on. What the Father has sent to us. What the Spirit applies to us. And so we we are actually reminding ourselves of this. And all the while, we have to realize that during Advent, there have been many Advents in the Bible. Not just this... One coming where finally the Son of God becomes man, but don't you remember God comes to them in the garden, doesn't He? Walks with them, the Scriptures say, in the cool of the day. So, you know, In other words, He just didn't pick the hottest part of the day. Hey, let's go for a walk. You're like, oh man. No, He's actually picking the best time to meet. You know, and, and I heard this, this said one time and it stuck with me. Um, you know, what is your best time of the day? Is it morning? Maybe so. Is it the afternoon? Give God your best. This was the cool of the day. It wasn't early morning for Adam and Eve. Maybe that was their best part of the day. And so he walks with them. Doesn't he come visit and Abraham? He comes, three angels approach him, which again, you know, we can't help as Christians, but see the symbolism there of the Holy Trinity. And they share a meal, which we're going to do in a moment. They share a meal together uh, with Abraham. Doesn't he come to Jacob, wrestling with Jacob? Doesn't he come to Moses in this cloud, uh, on this mountain that's on fire and quaking in a thunderstorm? <laughs> in other words, he was, he was coming, coming big time, coming in hot. Doesn't he come to Joshua? when Joshua is transitioning into power, about to lead the children of Israel into that promise. You see, in the Old Testament, God constantly is making an advent. In other words, a coming. Remember that term means coming. And so when Jesus comes, it shouldn't be a surprise. It's been predicted. It's been prophesied. It's already happened before in these temporary meetings. And I say temporary because God did not stay in the forms that He was in those moments when He met with people like Abraham, Jacob, Joshua. No, those were temporary, what we call theophanies, just appearances of God. Now, God does something new now God finalizes this thing of Advent, this thing of Him coming to us. And we've already, we've already mentioned here, and, and I hope you understand that in the religious debate out there, uh, Christianity stands unique and alone in this one point, and that is our God is always coming after us, not us coming after Him. In all the other religions, we're trying to get to Him. Jump through hoops to get to Him. In our religion, God is jumping through all the hoops to get to us. Hoops such as kneeling before His own disciples and washing their feet. Being given over to pagans who hate Him and are drunk and going to kill Him. The Romans. By other religious people who... Felt he was bucking their authority and blaspheming. You see, God is the one in pursuit, not us. We're seen as the ones who don't care, who are uninterested, sinful, wicked, blind, dead. And God is the one coming as the medic, coming as our rescuer. You see, so it's the flip of everything else that's taught in world religion. And so John proclaims that the word was made flesh. Now again, <laughs> you know, we, we talked about this last week, and, and, and it's 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 such a big concept that I have to, you know, prepare myself to even talk about it. It's not something that's just, oh yeah, you know, he, he knows it by heart. No, this is. This is serious business. You know, sometimes when you, when you do certain things in life, you actually have to prepare before you do them. You, you can't just draw from the hip, you know, and start shooting. Uh, it's it's going to take preparation. Here's what John says. That Jesus is the Word from God. Now, He's begotten eternally, not made. That's what the scriptures saying. He actually uses this term... In the Greek, monogenes, which is the one and only of the Father. He's it. it. There is no other. He's eternally begotten of the Father. Never at a time. This is eternal. So, in other words, the Son is not made. We're not celebrating His birthday particularly, so much as His human nature's birthday. In other words, God takes on human nature at a certain point, yes, which is what we date our birthdays from, Uh, but He has always existed. Notice in Genesis that God creates everything not by, again, waving His wand, but instead by speaking it into existence. He uses words to create. So, words are important. Words create things, don't they, in our own lives? Hasn't a rightfully spoken word changed the direction of your life at times? Hasn't also a mean-spirited, bitter word caused consternation? Absolutely. That's why James will warn us. The tongue is a very dangerous tool. It is small, yes, compared to the whole body, Percentage-wise, but it can start a fire that you cannot control. So be careful with your tongue. God creates from His Word. He sends us the prophets who speak His Word. Prophets like Moses, Joshua. Yes, these are prophets according to the Scriptures. David and the other major and minor prophets that we know, Isaiah, Malachi, Habakkuk, all these guys. They also speak the Word of God. But look, that wasn't enough for God apparently. I mean, we would think that if we had the Bible or the Old Testament. Hey, that's all we need, right? This is all we need is the Bible. But the reality is we don't worship the Bible. The Bible is not God. It points to God. So, you know, I use this illustration a lot. Forgive me if you've heard before. My kids are very distressed about storms. They don't like them. So when the thunder starts rolling, you know, nerves are up high. You know, you see, tension is getting... You can cut it through our house. I mean, we know... We expect visitors, you understand, to come downstairs in, in a storm. So we're already making preparation when we know it's going to get bad. They, they've been scarred by, back in 2011 when the tornadoes came through. Well, when they cry out, Daddy! in the middle of the night... Do I just you know, say, Hey, it's fine. I you know, looked at the meteorological report and it's, it's going to be okay. Is that going to help them? No. That's no, not going to help them. Uh, what if I just shot them a text message? You know, Hey, it's going to be okay. Just trust my word. That's not really why they're calling my name, is it? What do they want in that moment? When they're scared. When they are filled with fear. When they don't understand what's going on. What do they want? They want me. My personal presence in the room. You see the application? God has not just thrown His Word to us or texted us, you know, sent us an email. Instead, He showed up Himself. Amen. Hallelujah! That's big time, folks. <laughs> it's kind of like one of these scenes where, you know, you're maybe talking about somebody, maybe not in a negative way, but then all of a sudden you realize they're in the room. It's a very different situation, isn't it? Your face kind of turns red, at least some people's do, and then you kind of you know, start talking about something else subtly, right? Well, He's in the room. We act like He's not around. We act like He's not in control. But Advent says, John says, He has come. This is what we celebrate. He has come. His personal presence dwells here. Now, here's the really crazy thing. We are as the church, His personal presence. I knew it would get quiet. Nobody wants to think that they contain God. And of course, we don't contain all of there is to be God, but we contain God in our hearts, don't we? Isn't this what we say in our most simple prayers when we ask Jesus into our heart? (coughs) You see, the church is his body, the Bible says. That means you need to start taking your job as a member of his body more seriously. I'm talking to myself. We just simply forget sometimes. We are to be the presence of God in our workplace, in our home, to our families we're going to go visit. You say that's really tough. I mean, it's I can do it at work. I can do it, you know, at the ball field. I can do it at church. But at home, that's a different place. That's a different beast. And it is. But that's where we most need to be his presence. The other stuff can be faked, can it? I mean, you can last out an hour or two, right? At a ball game. You know, at work, some people start seeing some holes in your armor, but For the most part, you can fake it. But at home, there is no faking. In a marriage, there is no faking. So the real person comes out at home. Which is why we need to ask Jesus to help us, don't we? I mean, I think that hits all of us, including myself. So He sends not only His text but His person for the job who is His Son. Jesus is also the Word of God, not just the Word from God, but the Word of God Himself. He makes these I am statements in John all over the place. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the shepherd. Then He says this one thing that really makes the Jews angry and nervous all at the same time, is He says, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> you know, you can't get a more direct line to claiming that you are God. In particular, claiming that you are Yahweh. What is Yahweh's name? I am. So he's literally taking this Old Testament name for God and using it for himself. Now, either Jesus is the most egocentric person to ever live, but never be condemned for it, because everybody says in world religions, everybody across the map, there's not one religion that says Jesus is a bad teacher, that Jesus taught bad morals, or that Jesus' life was bad. No one says that. You'd be ludicrous to say that. The Muslims revere Him as one of the greatest prophets beside, of course, Muhammad. Hindus revere Jesus and His teachings. No one thinks he was bad. And yet, who goes around saying, if you don't love me more than your wife, you're not allowed into the kingdom. That's crazy talk, isn't it? Unless he's God. You should forsake all for me. Who talks like that? Except David Koresh or somebody weird like that. (laughs) Some of you you not maybe not know who David Koresh was, but... Either he's crazy... Or he's God. The evidence doesn't show someone crazy, does it? Doesn't show someone bad, does it? Like a liar. No. Everything we know about Jesus, he was good, completely pure in his actions and right in his teachings. And the thing that surprised people always was what he taught, he actually lived. And that joining together of those two things is the greatest testament to what God can do in our hearts. In Him was life, John says. Isn't this beautiful just the way? I mean, you almost just want to read it again because it's so poetic. And there's just something special about these words. He says this In Him was life. What kind of life? Really, twofold here. There's two terms for life bios and zoe. At least, this is the way C.S. Lewis lays it out in his book, Mere Christianity. Bios, of course, is where we get biological life from that we are mammals. We're actually part of the mammal classification of animals. We have hair, we have to breathe air. Well, Jesus became bios. Biological, didn't he? He was conceived just like you were at some point. He was gestated. He was birthed. He grew up as a little child. I was holding Ty. Uh, I got the privilege of putting him down the other night. Uh, he normally wants his mother, so but she handed it off to me. So I'm putting him down, and I'm just sitting there with this little bitty baby in my arms, thinking Jesus was a little bitty baby. He needed to be rocked to sleep. And yet, God never sleeps. He needed his diaper changed, and yet, He was there to change the world. What a thought! God became us, became a man for us. I mean, you know, I, it'd be like me becoming a slug to save the slugs. That's the kind of gravity of difference between what He is and what He took on for us. If you would have cut Him, He would have bled. He had to sleep. We see this, don't we? He wept. You see, He was fully human and yet never ceased to be fully God. What a thought! Who claims that? Who could have ever devised that or mythologically thought that story up? No one ever did. And yet, the myths try to reach toward that. They want that to happen a savior, a king to come. This theme runs throughout all epics, all myths. The dying and rising one who would come to save the world. Just watch The Matrix. The one has come to save. Who is this one? Who is everybody pointing to? What are they all shadows of? They're shadows of the true light. He takes on a body. Do you realize that's blasphemy in most all religions? That the gods would take on bodies. They never do that. That's, there's no reason for them to do that. We're, you know, in most all other religions, they're trying to get out of the body. Christianity is saying, no, our body is going to be with us forever because that's what resurrection is about. The body is not a bad thing. You see, Christianity, John in particular here, is fighting against something behind the scenes that most of us have not really thought about, but it's called dualism. It's the idea that matter is bad and spirit is good. It's this... Bifurcation, this difference, this division between our body and our soul—it's the idea of this. Here's how it practically play, plays out in our own thinking today in America. We think, "Oh yeah, I'm saved, but you know my body sins. You know, I do certain things, and you know we can't really help it because we are, after all, human. One day when we get to heaven, we won't have this old body, and we'll just be purely spiritual. And that's what life is about, really. Because that's not what the scriptures say." Jesus took on a body. A filthy, bleeding, fluids flowing, decaying old body. That's what He did. And He did it in order to save our bodies. That's what resurrection is about. Most of us think of resurrection as some kind of afterthought to salvation. It's not an afterthought. It's the main thing. It is what He's offering to us is resurrection. That one day, even when we die, we won't be dead forever. Our body will rise again. It's a powerful thought. It's the reason He became one of us. He took on biological life. Now here's what's crazy. Spirit in the beginning creates the material world. Now, what is purely spiritual, which is God, right? Doesn't the Scripture say, God is spirit And they that worship Him, most worship Him in spirit and truth. It's it's the reason, you know, atheists and uh, other people in our world have trouble finding God in the material world. You're not going to find God in the material world. They say, look, I would believe in God if you could just show me. Okay, well, we're going to have to work with a sixth sense in order for me to show you. Because you can only see Him by the eye of faith because He is not the material world. He creates, did we not just read, He created everything that was made? Everything, you know that asteroid that we just landed on, he created that. I think it was asteroid. Yes. Okay. Good. Getting some nods, nods from my uh, technical people. But he is not the trees. He is not the mountains. He's not the heavens. What was our first mistake as humans? To worship the heavens. To worship the earth. To worship the created thing. Isn't this still one of our main problems in America is we worship the material thing? I mean, it's really turned up during Christmas, isn't it? Worship of materialism. We live almost every day inundated with things that we need to get. We should be buying. I mean, sometimes I feel in some of these commercials or some of the deals that that I get in email, I'm like, I'm losing money by not buying this. Is that correct? I mean, what's going on here? We worship the material world we hide idols in our homes things that we literally during the week bow down to are slaves to jesus wants to free us from that he wants us to look upward you see spirit created matter but now spirit becomes the material he takes on the material that we have corrupted that we have turned away from and calls to decay and now he injects it with his own life you see what's happened here god joins himself to this material world forever in particular not just to the mountains not to the monkeys not to the cats and the heavens and the clouds but instead he joins himself Two humans. And he then takes that body back to the very heart of the Holy Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he says, Now, guys, they're a part of us forever. In other words, there's a human in God. God is a human. That's crazy! It's crazy good, isn't it? Amen. It's good news because now He can redeem us. Now He can reach us. It's not about the wave of the wand or some, uh, you know, di- divine fiat that He's going to give to us. Instead, no, He personally comes and becomes one of us in order to save us. The old saying in the early church was, God became man so that man can become God. We'll never be God, but we can have God in us. We can be in unity and at peace with God. He knows us because He is one of us. He has become our brother. And that's why this is... I mean, you know, I don't know. This, whew, that's big stuff. That's big time, folks. And this is why we have to, again, be like, wow. What has He done again? Okay, that's what we proclaim. Until He comes again. So He has life in Him and He has light. He is light. This is what John says here. And the darkness has not overcome the light. Now, here's the funny thing. (laughs) Uh, When you close your eyes in daylight, like out there right now, the sun is, is shining down upon us. When you close your eyes, you get this red tint, right? I can't help but think that people in the world who deny God, which the Bible says is foolishness, they're just shutting their eyes tight and saying, I don't see Him! But the reality is, we see everything by His light. Amen. If you know anything in the world, it's because of Him. The very brain that you're saying you don't believe God with is the one that He created. This is why the Scripture says it's foolishness to say there is no God. Absolute folly. And we're just closing our eyes saying, I don't see the sun. I don't know the sun. And all the while the sun is right in front of us. Now, here's the thing. You can't actually look at the sun, can you? And here's what the Bible tells us, is look, no one has ever seen God. You would die if you did. Remember, even Moses said, hey, I want to see God. I mean, we've been talking back and forth. The God says, I can only show you a little bit of my back, man. My trapezius muscle alone is going to blow you away. You know. I don't know. If that, that's not in there, you realize, right? Okay. Just, just to be clear. And yet, the apostles, what do they claim? We've seen God. We've touched God. God we've heard God go back and read 1st Peter 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 says look we've actually touched him we've seen him and this is what we pass down to you and this is what I pass on to you is that same teaching those same disciples have been passed down to this very moment where now it's your turn to open your eyes and see the sun our culture lives and dies by feeling Morality is based all on feeling. Politics all on feeling. Even in people's conversations they say, "Well, I feel like uh, da 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 da" and they'll continue their story. It's all over everything why? Because when you close your eyes to God, all you have left is feeling. Trying to blindly go through life. This is not the way he's designed us. He gave us eyes so that we can see. He gave us faith so we can believe. No longer I feel like this is right. I feel like Christianity is the best. No, I believe Christianity is the best because it is our belief, our faith in God that the Scripture says brings grace to our life. So, John says, look, the Word, the invisible God pure spirit has become flesh verse 14 and dwelt among us you can interpret that tabernacled among us now you remember what the tabernacle is this is where God was right so they sit, you know, first tabernacle was just a tent and of course David's like hey I'm living in a big house God's living in a tent God I want to build you a house God says I don't need a house Especially from you, David. You've killed too many people. But, I'll let your son build me one if you really want to. But I'm fine living in a tent. I've been living in a tent for a long time. He then goes to an established place in Jerusalem, which is the temple, right? Where God's presence dwells. His Shekinah glory, the Scripture says. That's the same glory that, remember, Abraham met in that vision where God walks through, in in a burning pot, the carcasses, which was a way to make covenant back then. And so now, the covenant is sealed in the Son Himself. He makes the covenant one with Himself. In other words, when I die, that's going to institute the covenant. That will be the testament. So He tabernacles in the flesh. He used to be in a tent, then He was in Jerusalem. Now He says, look, I've been everywhere all the time anyway. Isn't that what He did to them? He goes... It's basically like the Jews say, look, God's not going to destroy us because we have His house. He's in His house. Why would He destroy us in His house? That would be stupid to blow up your own house. God says, do you realize I don't live in there? And He blew the thing up. Well, technically He used Nebuchadnezzar to blow it up. Maybe they didn't use explosives, but you get the point. They raised the thing to the ground. They tried to build it back, right? They built another temple. And it was too raised to the ground, R-A-Z-E in 70 A.D. by the Romans. You see, God does not live in temples made by man. You know where He lives? In this temple. This is now where God dwells most. Right here. In your body. Yes, in your actual body, God can dwell. Why? Because He became one of us. That's why. It all goes back to Jesus. I hope you feel that we overemphasize Jesus here. Because we do. He is the epicenter to everything that is good in all of life. We were created through Him and by Him and for Him. And we are not saved apart from Him. So let me ask you... I do, this, I do this with my, with my kids. Uh, it's just me being dumb, but I do a lot of dumb stuff with them. If you're around our house, it'd probably be funny to watch, but anyway, you're not, so you, we're not going to video it. Um, I say to them, I say, I'll say like, Bader, let me ask you two questions. He says, what, Daddy? Number one, do you love me? Yes. Number two, do you like me? Yes. You know, comes the answer. I want to ask you this morning Two questions. Do you love God? Do you like God? We feel like we have to love God, you know what I mean? He did create us after all. It's kind of like loving a parent, you know, you just kind of have to do it. You know, even if you don't want to, you got to do it. That's how my kids feel about me, I think. But do we really like the things of God? Do we like the ways of God? We can. He even says Jesus was taught. He grew in the knowledge of God. I don't even know what to do with that, but I know that we must also grow in his knowledge, in his ways. Some things you have to start doing them before you realize that you like them. My kids are very scared to eat certain foods. But once they start eating them, man, hey, I mean, used to, Bo wouldn't even eat pizza. Now he, it's the only thing he wants. That can be us, can it? We don't want God. We don't want the things of God. We don't want somebody telling us what to do. But then we love it because we know it brings life. We know it is right and good. So this morning, we are not called to continue to sit in darkness, but instead open our eyes to the light by faith. And when we do, we'll be flooded with His life. Flooded with His grace. What does it say here? Full of grace and truth. Wow! What if that could be said of us? It is supposed to be said of us. A person of grace. A person of truth. That will change the world right there. That's a recipe to change the world. And it starts with your family. It starts with you as the leader, Dad. Dad. It starts with you, mom, in the home, at work. It starts at the ball field. It starts at ballet or whatever girl activities you do. It starts at work. It doesn't end at work. We don't cut on and off a switch. So, God has come to save. He's done it as He always has done it, and that is by sending a person. Do you know that person? You can today, in this very moment. Amen.